You are listening to That Old Preach, pushing the envelope on culture and theology. We're going to be talking about some uh, interesting things today. Uh, but uh, if you are new to this podcast, uh, we just want to have a forum for great conversations about topics that matter to Christians. My name is Brian Zhang. I lead the college ministry and the adult education ministry at Four Oaks Church in Midtown. And I'm joined by Paul Rizkala, PhD candidate in philosophy studying at Florida State University. We've been doing a series on the seven deadly sins, trying to examine the roots and uh, heart motives of uh, the different sins that we commit with the idea that once we name them and identify them, then by the grace of God, we can turn away from them and we can become people who look like Jesus, which is the ultimate goal. Mm. And it's been a really, really great series. We've been really inspired by Rebecca DeYoung's book, Glittering Vices. We've been telling you to buy it. If you haven't bought it already, <laughs> go buy it. Go buy it. <laughs> but today we're going to hit the big one, lust. Ooh. I think when we think about sin, lust is pretty much what pops up in our minds. Yep. Um, and, you know, when people are like, well, how's your life going? You're just like, oh, you know, I struggle with time management. But in all of our minds, we're like, but really? <laughs> but really? And uh, But lust is a tricky thing to talk about. Um, our culture doesn't really care about lust. It's seen as a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're humans. We have these needs and desires. However you want to meet them, as long as you don't hurt anybody else. That's the big key. Just don't hurt anybody an else. All right. As long as there's consent. Mm -hmm. Everything is fine. But uh, the church, obviously, because we believe the Bible, um, says differently, right? And says that lust is a bad thing. But even the church can fall into a misguided understanding of lust. Mm. So what, what's, what are some myths that the church believes about, about lust? There's almost like this, uh, before you're married, you can't do anything. But then after you're married, everything is free range. Like lust is only a problem outside of marriage. And so some Christians have this idea that like, once you get married, it's impossible to be lustful because, oh, now you're in the proper parameters of where sexual expression is supposed to be actualized. And so you can never be a lustful person again. And that's not quite right. The I think, statistics don't bear that out. Well, yeah, all, right? yeah, yeah. all the married couples Absolutely. dealing with porn and yep. adultery and all these things. Mm -hmm. So it comes from like a, a misunderstanding of what it is to be lustful and a, and a misunderstanding of what it is to be chaste as well. So chastity is every Christian has to be chaste, whether inside marriage or outside marriage. Right. Inside marriage, you're called to certain parameters of how to express sexuality faithfully. And that is chastity, to look at your spouse in a certain way, to be honoring and faithful. And um, so chastity and avoiding lust are things that even married couples are called to. It's not just a problem for unmarried people. And if you don't cultivate it when you're not married, it's not like, you know, you're just going to change. Magically. Yeah. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, these are, again, what we've been talking about, these are habits. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody who's, you know, always been promiscuous, or if you're somebody who has no self-control mm -hmm. in terms of lust, then Getting married may just make the problem worse. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a deep rooted character issue. And if you have a superficial treatment of it, you're going to do a lot of harm. I mm -hmm. even think sometimes churches can be kind of juvenile about it. You know, everyone has this, you know, a series on let's talk about sex, right. you know, sex for, <laughs> you know, the, the joy of sex, you know, and, and, and it's almost like a, it's like a, it's like a 
sixth grader who finds out like what a swear word is and and mm. starts swearing and he just he's just like he's just being juvenile about yeah, yeah. it like oh yeah. yeah you found out a bad word like i guess that makes you edgy or right, something right and that uh, we sort of have this childish view of sex where it's almost like if you get married now you're you can just objectify your wife mm. now you can just be crass now right. you can just do whatever you want right and uh and it, it's not only does that provide a distorted view of marriage. Mm-hmm. But that, it just makes the church look like a joke when it comes right. to sex. Like we don't know what we're talking about. Mm. When in fact, the Bible actually has a lot to talk about in terms of sex and intimacy and vulnerability and the bond that's created and the purpose of that bond. Mm. Yeah, um, N.T. Wright, great theologian, he's got this great uh, <laughs> anecdote or well, not anecdote, <laughs> joke, right? Where he talks about Moses coming down Mount Sinai and he's like, hey, good news, guys. I've narrowed down the 40 commandments just to 10. The bad news is adultery is still one of them. (laughs) And it's like the idea that, you know, man, chastity. I think St. Augustine said it, you know, Lord, Mm -hmm. give me chastity. Help me be pure. Just not not yet. yet, Right. Just give me a couple, you know, you Mm -hmm. you know, the Christian joke about I don't want Jesus to come back before my wedding night kind of thing. Right, right. and, you know, we laugh and joke about it, but especially in our culture, there it is such a pervasive thing. Hmm. Just the sex cells, the objectification of both men and women, mm-hmm. the complete lack of us to connect emotionally with other, with each other, yeah. seemingly. And, yeah. and just the dating world is weird and marriages are weird and everything's sort of thrown out of whack because hmm. we've divorced sex from anything other than just pleasure. Right. And so that's what I wanted to get your take on. What do you think is at the root of lust? What is what is making lust go? What makes it tick? At bottom, lust is what gluttony is to food. So if you haven't checked out our podcast on gluttony, it's excellent. It's amazing. You'll hear all about gaip, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird no matter how you say it. Yeah. Got to get those t-shirts made. <clears throat> but lust is the pursuing of an it rather than a person. Lust is the reduction of sex to just my own personal sexual gratification. So in the same way that the glutton uh, just pursues their own pleasure and gratification in food consumption and is willing to trample over people or you know just disregard all these other norms in their pursuit of pleasure, the lustful person will objectify, will trample over people, will not care about the other person will just go after this like hit of dopamine in their brain so that they can get instant sexual gratification. So it takes sex. It takes this amazing sacred thing that joins people together, that creates new unions, that creates new life, right? It is the most intimate sacred act that humans can commit. And it takes that, lust takes that and reduces it to just I need this hit of dopamine. I'm just going to pursue my own sexual gratification. And that's exactly what we've seen in our culture because oh, yeah. if you think about the sexual revolution, <clears throat> what what it essentially did was it took out the union making capacity between men and women and just saying, well, it's just a transaction. It's just it's just fun. There's no actual bonding that happens, which we know that is not true. Hmm. And then with birth control, with abortion especially, you take away any possibility of life coming from it. 
Mm -hmm. And so the two things that would force you outward, bonding to another person and and being responsible for that other person Mm -hmm. and the creation of life are removed from the act. Mm. And so it's purely just about your own pleasure. And if you mess with something like that, it's going to have repercussions throughout your entire culture, which is why, you know, sometimes people say, man, Christians, they're just so old fashioned. They just talk about sex all the time. They care about sex so much. Mm. Okay, maybe that's true. Maybe we're a little weird about it, but... We can't deny it. Sex is incredibly powerful. Right. Yeah. I mean, it shapes so much of our lives. And and that's because it it is powerful. Hmm. It is it does have this unifying ability to to bind two people together. Yeah. And it has the ability to actually create life. So it is so significant. And uh, the removal of any responsibility is really taking the gift that God has given hmm. and stripping it of its dignity. Yeah. And in stripping it of its dignity, we strip ourselves of its dignity. Right. And I think something that's interesting um, is that there's an observation that, you know, in pornography or in you know, strip clubs or things like this, uh, women, they don't ever use their real names. Hmm. They use fake names. Why hmm. is that? Because if you use their real name, then they become a normal human. Mm-hmm. They become a mother. Mm. They become a sister, a daughter. They become a human being. Right. And that ruins the lust because they're no... It, it, it's it, difficult to objectify. It, it's and, difficult <clears throat> to objectify yeah. them because now they're a human soul. Mm. And I think that that speaks to the heart of how lust destroys ourselves, it destroys yeah. others, it destroys society. Mm. And we can't look at ourselves or others made in the image of God. Yeah, absolutely. It's so destructive. Yeah. And uh, Rebecca Young puts it this way also, lust lust is much a problem above the belt in the heart as it is a problem below the belt. So it's not just about sex. It's a problem that, again, deep grooves, patterns, behaviors, and habits that we've cultivated in our lives that lead us to view the world a certain way where we don't see people, like you said, Brian, in, in the image of God. We don't see them through that lens of every single person has inherent dignity and worth. We take this person, we reduce them to just object that can fulfill my desire. And so lust at bottom takes people and turns them into instruments or objects. It takes human beings made in the image of God and says, I'm not going to treat you. I'm not going to look at you that way. I'm just going to reduce you down to something that can give me a hit of dopamine. And when you think about like how egregious of a like crime that is against God and against that person, um, it really is like, it's, it's shocking. It's, it's, it's like, it's gross. Like those, that's not the kind of person that we want to be. So it's an issue of the heart as well. Like a lot of these vices are all these vices because it's how we see the world. And this is not something that arises overnight. This is patterns and ruts that we've gone over and over and over treading the same path that have pushed us into this way of viewing the world. Um, and it's difficult, but we're not without hope, right? There, there, there are practical right. ways that we'll get to um, when talking about how to begin to shed ourselves of some of these negative tendencies. Well, the objectifying of other people brings in this social aspect mm. because we can delude ourselves to saying, well, you know, porn is just something I do on my own. Right. You know, um, indulging in these things. It's just something that I do on my own by myself. I'm not hurting anybody. Mm-hmm. What's the big deal? Well, it's impossible because it's, it's one, it's shaping you. Mm-hmm. It's shaping how you interact with people, how right. you view the opposite sex, right. man or women, because it's, it's a rising, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, pornography use is rising in women. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And it is instrumentalizing yourself. I mean, there's a lot of self-loathing when it comes to to lust of any kind. Mm. And one of the things that happens is it affects other people because one, you, 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 it is, I I don't believe we're just lying to ourselves. If we think that we can, we can indulge our minds and feed our minds with all this, you know, darkness and have have no effect on our friendships, our romantic relationships, you know, our, our relationship with even, ourselves how we view ourselves Hmm. and so there is a a great deal of self-delusion of the well it's not hurting anyone right yeah and you know even things like premarital sex i think the attitude today is well it just doesn't really matter i mean you Mm -hmm. shouldn't do it because it's bad but no it's like paul says you join yourself to somebody else i mean something is happening Mm -hmm. and even biochemically something is happening and we're we're lying to ourselves when we say (laughs) that this is uh this is not an issue. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, so we have to think of it socially too. How it's affecting our view of other people. Absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> one one other interesting paradox that uh, some of the ancient philosophers talked about here with pleasure is that the more you try to pursue pleasure for its own sake, the less you can actually attain it. So think of like um, a leaky bucket. You go to the river, you fill it up, and by the time you get back to where your camp, campground or whatever, it's all the water's gone. And you keep trying to like bring that water back, but the bucket itself is leaky. That The pursuit of pleasure is itself something that when you pursue pleasure for its own sake, that pleasure becomes desensitized. So here's like a, an actual example. So in, in, in the consumption of pornography, your mind becomes desensitized to certain forms of arousal. And so you need greater hits and different kinds and novel forms of expression until you get desensitized from those. And you have to keep going higher and worse. And like your brain literally becomes desensitized when all you're pursuing is pleasure. The difference on the Christian perspective of marriage is when you're in the context of marriage, when you're loving somebody and you're not pursuing pleasure for its own sake, but you're pursuing this person. You're not in the, so lust pursues an it, but love pursues a person. In pursuing that person, pleasure comes along with it, but it's not a futile pursuit of pleasure because now you're focused on that person and pleasure comes along with that. So again, God rigged the system for us that in doing the good thing, pleasure comes along with it. In doing sex as it's supposed to be had, pleasure comes along with it. In feasting as it's supposed to be done, pleasure comes along with it. But when we remove pleasure from the activity, and we pursue just the pleasure on its own, we actually end up harming ourselves because that is going to just de- get desensitized and we'll never be able to get the pleasure that we seek. It's paradox. It's the more we try to pursue the pleasure, the less we can actually get it. And so it's just like sand and water slipping through our fingers as we like desperately try to get it and we can't. Well, something you'll hear with married couples who talk about this and a lot of married couples struggle with this hmm. and uh, is that the wife will feel devastated. She'll say, am I not enough? And one of the things is, it's like, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. And and porn is not enough and nothing's enough. Yeah. Right? If, if, you're, if by enough, you mean ultimate fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it can put an undue burden on both of them to, to think that sex is the end-all be-all of everything or that mm-hmm. this is what marriage is centered around. Mm. And I think that sort of over-focus on something that's not meant to be the ultimate goal mm. is is destructive so you know it's the solution isn't well you know 
the wife has to now look at these look look like right. these right. you know distortions that that her husband's into or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, I mean, you know, there's with women and you know romance novels or being overly romantic. I think Rebecca the Young talked about Taylor Swift and yeah. her songs. Yeah. How they're so overly <laughs> romantic, and yep. it, it's actually very self centered. Mm-hmm. The man is all about the woman. Everything's yep. about her. Everything's mm-hmm. about how she looks in front of other people, and it's just vain. And that's not real. It's not real. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's damaging in a similar way to, Mm -hmm. to pornography. Absolutely. Yeah. And so women can fall into that too. And Mm -hmm. the solution isn't you need to fulfill and become that fantasy. Yeah. No, it's, it's, there needs to be a rewiring and a a rethinking of what, what is this for in general? Yeah. And I think that's a difficult step because once you start to confront that, there are going to be other areas of your life too that will have to contend with that. Mm. So if you realize life isn't about just my pleasure, well, that's going to affect not just your sex life, but your wallet. Right. Oh, yeah. And your time, mm-hmm. right? And the way you treat people. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, again, a lot of these vices and a lot of their virtues, they grow together. Mm-hmm. They're all connected. Yeah. And uh, that's why when you see these series about, you know, <clears throat> churches doing series on sex, a lot of it's kind of a joke because mm-hmm. they're not dealing with the actual deeper issues right. of selfishness right. and of, of, of vulnerability and, and giving <clears throat> yourself to somebody else. Yeah. So in, in, in the same way that, I mean, we talked about how at the start of this and, and throughout this series that these vices have as their root pride. So all of these vices, gluttony, envy, vainglory, lust, they're all different manifestations of pride manifestations of self-seeking, self-centered. How can I maximize and promote myself and my interests? And lust is just the specific version of pride that deals with sexual gratification, that reduces sex and everything about the way God designed sex to be, to just be a way to pursue my own pride, to pursue my own interests and my pleasure. And um, it's a massively deflated view of what sex is supposed to be. And just to that point of um, the way that like sex and porn distort the way we view uh, people, Naomi Wolf, she's a feminist philosopher. She says that what porn has done to women basically is to train men to see normal naked women as bad pornography. So like once you have this like this fake idealized version of something, everything else becomes subpar to that because you've been so acclimatized and like trained to see this as the norm that it ends up hurting your actual interactions with people and it undermines your ability to relate on a human level, right? All, if all you care about is that hit of dopamine, you don't actually want the intimacy and the vulnerability that comes along with cultivating a relationship because that's hard work. So it's much easier to escape to this other thing where you get the instant hit and you don't have to think about anything anymore but that's actually depriving us and making us less human. Um, It's catering just to the animalistic urges that we have. So for the same reason that like pursuit of pleasure in food with gluttony is not going to totally fulfill us, the same thing applies here too, that with pursuit of sexual pleasure, it's not going to ever fully make us content because we're not just animalistic creatures. We're not just living for appetites. We are eternal, we have souls, we are made for something greater and so these things are good in their proper place, but they're never going to be ultimately fulfilling for us. Well, you think about shame, that's a huge component of this mm-hmm. because you're right, it doesn't fulfill you. <clears throat> and then you feel the shame, you feel the guilt, and you feel emptier than you were before. Hmm. 
And yet, then there's the added shame of you keep coming back. Yeah. And any guy, I think all of us, we've all encountered that. Mm-hmm. And I think shame is one of the, it's, it's one of the things where it isolates you and it pulls you away from the very thing that will free you and liberate you from this, mm. you know? And so one of the things that affects us spiritually is thinking, I mean, ultimately, and I think sometimes guys, it's just like, people are like, oh, you guys are just like, you know, hormone, whatever. Like you just want sex. But guys want connection. They mm-hmm. want to yeah. feel loved. They mm-hmm. want to feel intimate. They want to feel emotionally connected to somebody. Mm-hmm. And when, and, and pornography robs us of that and desensitizes us to that and makes us incapable of forming those bonds. Mm-hmm. Not impossible, but it, it sets us back. Sure. And so it is affecting us. And it's the, the, the worst thing is the, its effect is pulling us away from the very thing that we were meant to experience, hmm. which is intimacy with one other person, a woman for life mm-hmm. in marriage. Right. That's, that's what the sexual union is for. And to create children mm-hmm. and, to, and to create in the world, not just consume. Right. And uh, which is a whole other thing, you know, hmm. thinking about children, that's creating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And versus just sex to, mm-hmm. to detach from that is just consuming. Right. But I think shame is so important to tackle. And that's why friendship is so important when we mm. talk about working against lust. Yeah. Um, talk about the the role of community in this. Yeah, I mean, it's one interesting statistic just about like diets and exercise plans. 90% of them fail within the first couple months of being instituted. Somebody wants to change their diet. Somebody wants to start exercising. Most of those plans fail. And the common thread is those new plans are done in isolation. And you cannot work out of your current rut by yourself, whether it be with a diet or whether it be trying to break out of a lustful habit. So the reason, I mean, this is part of like how God created us, that we thrive in community, that we hold ourselves accountable, that there's transparency there, that like in putting something under the light, meaning letting other people in on it, will actually burn it. Like it is painful, but it's a good kind of like burning and purging that will eventually like destroy this thing that has a hold in your life. So you can't do it on your own. You have to have community. You have to have accountability. You have to have like good marriages modeled to you. Like once you see like the beauty of marriage modeled in a really winsome, captivating way, then you have something to like aim for or look towards as a substitute for this fake shadow that you've been pursuing. So Conquering lust is not just about like getting rid of a bad habit, but it's about stirring our affections towards something else, looking at what's true and beautiful and noble. And the Christian picture of marriage is actually beautiful. And I think culture recognizes that. DeYoung points out that like our love songs are almost like two-faced. We talk about like Jeremy Mayer's Your Body's a Wonderland, but then we've also got like, you know, I want to hold you in my arms forever and, you know, grow old with you. And culture seems to be pulled in these like two disparate directions but i think like most people recognize there is something beautiful about like a couple that is like faithful to one another and like grows old and lives together in family like even like you know secular people can look at that and go that's really attractive and i think that's evidence that like deep down we know this is the way that we were created to be and so anything that departs from that is going to be unfulfilling by its nature because it doesn't meet that standard of like excellence in human sexuality that's huge that's huge because I know that, you know, that people talk about accountability groups <clears throat> and in principle, okay. A lot of times what they are are guilt groups. Mm. 
it's 10 guys who all struggle with porn mm-hmm. just saying, I screwed up again this week. Yeah. And hopefully the collective shame of that will stop you. Mm-hmm. And it never works yeah. because shame is never, you can't shame somebody into righteousness. Right. That takes grace and love mm-hmm. and, and instruction. And so you want to have your friends be people who have found success in this, mm-hmm. who have fought the battle and slayed the dragon, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. So that you can actually have somebody who can really be helpful, not somebody who's also going to be like, well, if you don't tell this week, I won't tell next. You know, like you need somebody who's actually gone Mm. ahead of you and need someone who can encourage you. Yeah. Because it's so hard Mm -hmm. and we, there's so much shame and you need someone to be like, hey, listen, like I love you. Mm -hmm. God loves you. You're forgiven. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to be sex cop. Right. Right. I'm here for you because I care about you and mm. I want, and I'm, 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 and I'm hurt when you're hurt. Yeah. And let's also address these deeper issues. Mm. So you don't want your accountability relationship, accountability relationships just to be about when's the last time you looked at porn or, or when's the last time you messed up with your girlfriend or something like mm-hmm. that. That doesn't, if that, if that's the extent of your relationship, there's going to be no depth. It's never going to last. Right. It's got to be actually beyond that. Mm-hmm. What are your fears? Them knowing your insecurities, them knowing the things that you're dealing with, them knowing, you know, the things that, that that uh, that that bother you, knowing your weak points, mm-hmm. and actually just having real friends who yeah. care about you, and that's not just for lust; that's for anything else in your life. Mm-hmm. And really, again, having something to aim for too is so important because you want to just, you know, it, it's not like I shouldn't do this thing, and, and you're just like mad. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's. The goal isn't you spend the rest of your life wishing you could look at porn, but being strong enough that you don't. Right. That, yeah, you that's know, not virtuous. That's not yeah, vir- yeah. yeah. No, you, you want to actually be like, man, chastity is awesome. Mm-hmm. Not not like become a monk. Right. Ch- you can be chaste in marriage. Sure. I mean, chaste is just being pure mm-hmm. in your sexual life. Yeah. Uh, man, I want to be devoted to one woman. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I want this to have the, po- the power to create life. And I want yeah. this to be a life-giving thing and something that God gives us to enjoy and to mm. glorify him with and you don't want it to be something that that is that you look down on but you want to see its power you yeah. want it to be something that calls the man out of you mm-hmm. to to take responsibility and to to take part in this that in the way that it was designed to be yeah and going back to that point on uh, chastity in marriage, we focused a lot on like outside of marriage, and we said that we were going to dispel the myth, dispel the myth of how to be chaste in marriage, or Christians think you don't have to be chaste in marriage. But there is a kind of like even in marriage, you can have a sexual relationship that is lustful if what you're doing is you're actually instrumentalizing and objectifying if the other demeaning person, demeaning your wife. Right. If you're pursuing your sexual gratification over the other person's needs. Um, if you're putting yourself over the other person constantly, and this is a pattern in your life and you're not seeing this other person as a person, right? Right. You're just pursuing a feeling and that's just as lustful as the person who's not married and engages in premarital sex or watches pornography, or it's the same problem. It's that same heart issue of elevating my need for sexual gratification over a human being. And that's, that's the root result. And you can do that in marriage. You can totally do that in marriage guy or girl, like you can place your own needs or your own wants in this case, because sexual gratification is a want over this person and treat them as an object rather than as your spouse that you've committed to, who's created in the image of God and that you've been called to serve and love and die for, for the rest of your life. The 
the, the, the culture often exalts this type of male, especially in movies. I'm talking about like the James Bond type, <clears throat> right. you know, the, the guy who's just cool and collected. Yeah. He can have casual sex and he just can just move on. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like part of his allure. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not attached. He's too too important to be committed. Right. But when right. you think about it, it's like, that's, that's not a what loser. a man is. Right. Why would you yeah. ever want to be yeah. that? Right? I mean, he's, you're literally going to die alone. Right. <laughs> you have no meaningful connections, no meaningful friendships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but, but it, it just goes to show that we have this distorted view that we mm-hmm. think it can just be a commodity right. and it can't. Right. And that is not the man you want to be. Mm-hmm. It might seem alluring for, you know, when you're young or whatever, right, but right. when you're an old guy and you're just by yourself. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, I, I remember seeing this uh, article on Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson, when he was a young actor, he's a ladies man, date all these people. He's still single to this day and he's just this like miserable, grumpy old man. It's mm-hmm. really sad. <laughs> and he could just never settle down. And and it's, I guess it's it shouldn't be funny, but people found it funny in his 30s and his 40s and oh, you know. Now it's it's really pathetic, mm. and but that is that's the, the lust. It 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 promises this instant gratification, but it leaves this horrible destruction in its wake, and the cost is so high, and it's hidden because you get that initial happiness, quote unquote. Mm. Uh, but the cost is so high. Mm. Um, Can I read this uh, quote from De Young? Absolutely, quick on do it. Chastity as a positive um, correction towards lust. She says. Chastity's fundamental question is not how far should I go on a date without crossing some invisible line of sin, but rather how can my life, my thoughts, my choices, my emotional responses, my conversation, my behavior make me a person who is best prepared to give and receive love in relationship with others. Chastity preserves and protects and paves the way for wholeness in all our relationships all the time to channel and control our sexual desires is to empower ourselves to love. So right. we, can, wow. we can love once we like stop focusing on gratifying ourselves. We're freed from that self-obsession and we're freed to love and give ourselves to this other person, totally, completely uninhibited without fear or being pulled back by our own selfish desires. And it's interesting because Paul says the husband who loves his wife loves himself. Mm, yeah. It, it, it just yep. it has a, a yep. it comes back mm-hmm. at you. Um, I, I love this. Here's another quote. Uh, this is from, this is a Dallas Willard, Divine Conspiracy. Mm. And he writes about this guy who, uh, he, he commits adultery. And it says that uh, he, he speaks about, uh, oh, actually, wait, maybe this is the wrong quote. Where is it? I can't, well, anyway, some guy wrote some quote. story. It was a great <laughs> quote. But it, it was a story about a man. It, it has this great line where it says that, uh, this essentially this moment of temptation, hmm. he traded he traded this temporary pleasure for hmm. yeah. for the sound of his yeah, children's yeah. laughter or yeah. something like that. It was something just crushing. Yeah, and it is in a moment you can throw away a devoted wife, wonderful kids, and it will never be the same. Hmm. You think you can go home and not tell anyone and just go business as usual? It will eat you up. It will destroy it. Hmm. You can't do it, and and yet that's why the stakes are so high. Um, some other practical things, putting up walls. I mean, I think there's practical things. Don't stay up till hours that you're tempted or mm. get an internet filter. Sure. Those are all great things. Another thing is don't be overdramatic. 
Uh, Doug Wilson has a great article called Nuisance Lusts. Hmm. And he talks about how, you know, the guy who, you know, he, he, let's say an image flashes on his computer and he X's out and he goes, oh my goodness. And he may, and he calls his wife in and they pray together. And yeah. then they, it, it's actually kind of exacerbating the yeah. problem. Yeah. When a guy who is developing virtue just goes, clicks X, goes, wow, that was weird. Yeah. And just moves on. Yeah. There's Absolutely. a little bit of that where mm-hmm. you, you don't want to just right. be weird about it. Yeah. And I think sometimes people make the problem worse because they right. get so weird about right. it. Right. Right. And it's also self delusional because mm-hmm. you go, well, because I was so dramatic about therefore it's not like an affect me it's not gonna affect me yeah yeah no and the whole thing is you don't want to be wishing you were still at your computer and grumbling that you Mm -hmm. have to like spend time with your wife just pick it up dust your feet off and move on right yeah right don't don't make a big deal out of it Mm -hmm. and uh so sometimes you know we should flee immediately and sometimes Mm -hmm. we shouldn't flee in that dramatic sense we just sort of move on Mm. right don't give it the attention it deserves and that those are for the just the garden variety lusts for sure and Avoiding idleness, another one. It's a huge one. The idle mind is the devil's factory. Forget who says that, but it's a great quote. I mean, when you've got an empty I mind. <laughs> I said that. Uh, you heard it here. That was, yeah. Brian original, folks. Yep. You got it. I said it. Yeah, you want to like make sure that your mind is not empty and easily like going to just, you know, pop and entertain random thoughts. So occupy yourself. Do good things. Make yourself busy. Um, it's funny that, uh, when the old Testament talks about David seeing Bathsheba at the start of that chapter, it says that it was the time when the men went off to war, but David stayed in his palace. Hmm. So David didn't go off with his men. He didn't, he stayed, he was idle. And it was in that situation that he exposed himself to temptation. Um, it was as a result of his own idleness. So they're like the going to war, the being productive, doing good things, making sure that you're doing things with your life and not you know, you don't have like hours on end of just dead space in your mind. That's just um, disaster waiting to happen. And I think ultimately, it really does come to, I mean, you think about one of the Beatitudes, the, the pure in heart will see God. Hmm. And that's not saying that, you know, if you sin, God abandons you. Mm-hmm. But it is saying that because lust desensitizes you to what is truly beautiful, you will be desensitized right. to God who is present. He's yeah. there, but your vision of him, mm. your understanding of his character, your love for him, your your love for what he does, your love for the people of God is going right. to be diminished right. because your mind is clouded by by you know the the, the by your lusts. Mm-hmm. And so part of what God does often is he will take away our joy until we come back to him until we repent. Mm-hmm. And he's willing and quick to rejoice and to restore us. Mm. And I think that this is the the key. It's just realizing God loves you in the middle of your absolute mess of right. a life. Yep. And he is with you and he cares about you unconditionally. He actually has the love that can fulfill mm. those desires. That's what you were made for. You, were, you The ultimate thing is not feeling a release of pleasure from sex. Right. The ultimate thing is knowing God. It's and now it's not saying that knowing God is like, I don't know, like a replacement for sex. People can be weird about that. Yeah, don't yeah. do that. But it is saying, well, look, you were made to worship Him, mm-hmm. and once that's in place, everything else slots in the right place, mm-hmm. and you're never going to find full satisfaction in these things that are temporary that weren't meant to give you full satisfaction. Mm. And it, you know, it's it's anchored in love. And it's anchored in vulnerability where, I mean, God sees all of it Mm -hmm. and his love does not shift. Mm. 
that is how people grow yeah. in purity mm-hmm. because they're not doing it because they're like, well, God's it's God's rules. We got to do this. They right. go, God loves me. Mm-hmm. He has my best in mind. I, I want to listen to him mm-hmm. and I want to see him. I don't want to be desensitized to the good, to, to his goodness. Why would I want to do that to myself? Mm-hmm. And that is the context for joy and singleness and marriage and widowhood and anything. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to get to. Yep. It's that love that loves us too much to let us stay as we are. Right. As we've said a couple times already. It's a great quote. Well, this was a lively discussion. Thank you again for your thoughts, Paul. Uh, We trust that this was helpful for you guys. Please uh, leave any comments. uh, Pass this on to people that you know. Subscribe if you haven't. And uh, we'd love to hear feedback from you guys. Uh, Once again, thank you for listening.